It seems it's becoming a yearly off-season tradition for OU to be embroiled in a quote-unquote transfer controversy. The newest entry in this saga belongs to Chandler Morris. After spending about six months with OU during the 2020 season, Chandler announced his intentions to transfer to TCU at the end of the season. This news originally set off alarm bells throughout segments of the OU fanbase. Sure, Chandler was the third-string quarterback throughout the 2020 season, but when he did get a chance to play, he flashed a certain it factor that his predecessors in the backup role did not possess. On Monday afternoon during a Gary Patterson Zoom meeting, we learned that OU has not yet released Chandler Morris to play for TCU in the 2021 season. Before we get into the meat of this, here are the facts. In his press meeting on Monday, Gary Patterson answered a direct question about Chandler Morris's eligibility for next season, saying, quote, We do not know yet on Chandler. It looks like rules are going to change here quickly. He still hasn't been released by Oklahoma, end quote. On Wednesday afternoon, Lincoln Riley confirmed to the Oklahoma media that OU had yet to release Morris for competition, saying that he and OU's administration are against allowing interconference transfers becoming immediately eligible. The Big 12 does have a rule on the books barring interconference transfers from being immediately eligible. Section 6, Article 3 of the Big 12 bylaws state, any consent given relating to interconference transfer may be unconditional or conditioned on the student-athlete completing an academic year in residence at the second member institution before competing. Three of the other four major conferences have a similar rule on the books. However, in the Big 10, SEC, and Pac-12, graduate transfers are immediately eligible upon transferring. The Big 12 rules still require grad transfers to sit out a year. Earlier this month, the ACC eliminated all rules regarding interconference transfers, deferring to the NCAA rule on immediate eligibility. It is widely believed that the NCAA will pass a one-time immediate transfer exception into the bylaws this upcoming spring, allowing every collegiate athlete to make one transfer in their career without penalty. And this is back me again. So to be clear here, Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma are following the rules that the entire conference has agreed to. This hasn't stopped people from criticizing the decision on OU's part. After all, Riley did attempt to do the same thing in the winter of 2019 when Austin Kendall transferred to West Virginia, eventually relenting on that decision, citing the fact that Kendall was a grad transfer. At the time, my opinion was that OU was not morally in the wrong for the decision they were making but thought it was probably wise to grant Kendall the immediate exception for PR purposes, and also because facing Kendall was not a particularly scary proposition. Still, if OU had decided to to maintain that position on Kendall, they should have done it unapologetically. Now here's some samplings of the arguments I'm seeing in protest of what Riley and OU are doing with Chandler Morris. Stuart Mandel tweeted in response to a Jason Kersey tweet quoting Lincoln Riley on the matter, Lincoln... 2016 is over. Come join us in 2021. Ralph Russo, the lead AP college football writer, responded to the same cursey tweet, simply saying, we're still doing this? The Solid Verbal, likely the most listened to college football podcast on the planet, tweeted in response to that same cursey tweet, 2016 OU, Baker Mayfield sitting out a year post-tech was totally unfair. We're filing an appeal for extra eligibility via a technicality in the rules. 2021 OU, look, rules are rules. Alex Kirshner, a prominent online college football personality and host of the Split Zone Duo College Football Podcast, tweeted this in response to the news. Non-competes are bad. 
If a bank wants to put a non-compete on a trader making many hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, hey, whatever. Applying them to unpaid college football players but not their coaches is ridiculous. It's wild that we're still having these discussions. Lincoln Riley is clearly going to give in on the Chandler Morris thing. He's wrong, he knows he's wrong, and the pressure will get too great. It's a weird hill to die on, given that this will be used by smart coaches to recruit against him going forward. Just let the kid go. This is back me now. I end with Kirshner's tweet because I think it's the most illuminating of all of them. It gives you a window into how he and other people like him are thinking through this quote-unquote controversy. It's all emotion. He feels that allowing Morris to play is the right thing, so clearly it must be. He even accuses Lincoln Riley of dealing in bad faith, saying that Lincoln knows personally that what he's doing is wrong and he's doing it anyway, the implication being that Lincoln Riley is a vindictive a-hole. Here's what Lincoln Riley himself had to say on his and OU's reasoning for making this call. This particular situation for us is about something that we believe in. Uh, uh, myself, the leadership here at OU, we think it's unhealthy for college football uh, to encourage intra-conference transfers. Uh, that's something that we've been adamantly opposed to you know, for, for a long time. Now, clearly Kirshner and others who think like him disagree with this point of view, and that's totally fine. But why won't he and others engage with the reasoning that Riley is giving? Instead, it's back to the whole, the issue is settled and you're acting in bad faith if you disagree cliche. Riley continued when asked about the ease of transferring these days in college football. I think it was a good rule to change. And you know now players could have the ability and freedom as they should to be able to go to any school they want. But I do think the interconference can complicate things. I think there's I, I, the world of coaches understand the big picture and understand all the that's going to bring along a lot of negatives that I just don't know that we want in this game. Lincoln Riley lays out a clear principle here. He's coming from the radical, old-school thinking that rules typically are in place for a reason. And at the end, when he's talking about the big picture and how this could complicate things, he's communicating this direct message. Be careful what you wish for. Now, here's what I personally think about this story. The Big 12 is a sports league. It exists solely to be an arbiter of fair competition between rival institutions. The rule in question about interconference transfers exists because competitive balance is a chief concern of universities and the athletic programs that belong to them. If you believe that rule is outdated, it is on you to explain why the rule isn't achieving its desired outcome. The failure to do so by so many blue check marks in the media is an unconscious admission that their argument is coming from the fields. Lincoln Riley is speaking from a place of principle. That principle has been tested many times and he's shown that he's consistent with it. After all, he's recently greenlit three separate transfers for immediate eligibility outside of the conference. What principle is this counter-argument coming from? I sure wish they could tell me. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. What are the expectations for Oklahoma in 2021? Uh... Of course, you know, going out and winning the national championship, as you just said. But, you know, we can't be the same exact team that we were last year because the team last year only got us to, we're only able to win a Cotton Bowl, you know, bowl game. So we can't afford to, to settle for that. You know, we can't get comfortable 
Ah, yes, that was Delarian Turner Yell putting on record what everybody in Sooner Nation already knows. The expectations are higher than usual in 2021, and a national championship is well within reach. And yes, that was your humble host prompting him with that question. I know it's March, but I figured it's best if these guys get used to the hype because as we've talked about since the Cotton Bowl, how Oklahoma handles the outside noise and preseason expectations for 2021 will go a long way in determining whether this team has what it takes to be champions. Hey everybody, I'm Lee Benson. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Coming up on the show today, We'll play you the rest of DTY's comments about OU's expectations for 2021. Plus, we've got sound bites to play from Alex Grinch, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, and Spencer Rattler. One Oklahoma defensive starter will miss most of, if not all, of spring practice. What will that mean moving forward? Of course, Brendan Radley Hiles is out the door to Washington. Trey Norwood's trying to play in the NFL. So what's going to go on with the Oklahoma nickel position moving forward? And speaking of Buki, I have finished my rewatch of the 2019 season, which means that I am prepared to give my report on Buki's play that year, along with the rest of the secondary. We all remember that 44 wasn't very good in Mike Stoops and Ruffin McNeil's defense as a freshman. Did he improve as a sophomore in Alex Grinch's defense? I'll tell you on. Uh, I'll tell you about that later on in the show. Plus, we'll read a comment from a listener about Buki that might be in a way, it, it might in a way speak for a lot of what you listeners out there think and maybe a lot of the Oklahoma fan base. So one last thing before we get started, feel free to reach out to us on the West of Everest Facebook page. Just search for it on Facebook and you will see it. You can always leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, which I have been told helps others find the show easier. Uh, if the ratings are good, I suppose it helps them find the show easier. And if you're curious about what we post on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And to be honest, both of us aren't as active on Twitter as much as a lot of the other OU media people. Uh, usually a lot more Oklahoma football tweets go on during the actual season. That's at least from my perspective. Uh, but if I do ever see anything interesting going on, I do try to share it out there with you all and share any sort of podcast updates. You know, basically, if, if, if I think that you all think it's interesting, then I'll share it. All right, with that, let's bring back in Grant. Grant, what is going on? And, and, and actually, I, I'm going to prompt you with a question about your opening take. I thought it was a, a very in-depth well thought out take but there was one part of it that I just don't know because I was not following Oklahoma very close back then but the part I'm trying to go back through because you have the script here uh, it was one of the tweets oh, here we go the tweet from the solid verbal about Baker Mayfield in 2016 sitting out a year uh, being totally unfair is it true that Oklahoma said that that was totally unfair tried to get a waiver to get Baker but now uh, Oklahoma is actually following the rules. Therefore, that solid verbal tweet, is that an accurate tweet giving the situation? No, it's not. The That that tweet is is based, it's, it's narrative building. That's all it is. Um, this is comparing the Chandler Moore situation right now with what happened with Baker Mayfield as apples and oranges. It's almost the literal definition of, of, of that phrase. Um, so if, if anyone remembers in 2014, Baker Mayfield was, or during the 2013 season, Baker Mayfield was a walk-on at Texas Tech. He was not a scholarship player. He was paying tuition there. Then he decided at the end of the season to transfer to Oklahoma, uh, you know, kind of unprompted. He didn't you know, even tell Oklahoma he was transferring there. He just sort of showed up. Um, and because he transferred, 
Oklahoma, they adhered to the rules that were in the bylaws. He was a transfer, so he had to sit out a season. I mean, those were the rules. At the time, though, at the time, the rules also stated that if you were going to sit out of sit out of year, that could not be a redshirt year. You had to use a year of eligibility to do that. Um, and so OU's argument at the time was, hey, that's BS. He's a walk-on. He should be free to kind of, you know, to move... Uh, you know, between schools because he's a walk-on. He's, he was never under scholarship. There was nothing to release him on. Um, and so that was OU's argument, and they won that argument in 2016, if you remember, because oh, he yes. uh, because it was not for sure that he was going to be eligible for the 2017 season. Um, and so Oklahoma did the right thing. They originally followed the rules, and then they went through the proper protocols to lobby to change the rules. And the rest of the conference also voted to change that rule. So everyone agreed. Everyone agreed. There you go. Okay. Well, then answer my question. Thank you. I, uh, I will say I think you did a nice job of laying that out there. This is a scenario and a situation that I admittedly don't have a whole lot of interest in. I, I don't find it that interesting at all. But at the same time, I think I can sit back and take in all of the facts and the evidence of the situation and make the comment that I think that you and Lincoln Riley following the rules and not using, oh, hey, come on, man. Come on. That's... That's that, do the right thing, do, which is essentially the feelings-based argument that you're going against. Yes, I, I, I side with you because I will always side with uh, rules on the book. If you don't like the rules, change them. Find a way to change them. But uh, that being said, whatever the rules are, uh, you, you follow them. And if you have a problem with them, again, you can complain about it like they are. But, but your point is they need to explain why the rule is bad wh- and, and moving forward I, I think you might have said that they're trying to change the rule i guess to where that they can no, so transfer there was yeah there was that gary patterson quote in there like when he first talked about how ou hasn't cleared uh chandler morris yet. he said yeah we think the rules are going to change i think he was i think he was referencing the likely ncaa rule change where everyone is going to be allowed one free transfer uh you know without penalty but honestly i i still think that the conferences can still initiate those rules interconference um and until honestly until until i until i hear um uh, an interesting argument for why that shouldn't be a rule i think it's a good rule okay fair enough all right let's get going today with the rest of the show by playing the rest of what delarian turner yell said about winning a national championship and in order to do that, Oklahoma can't get comfortable. Essentially, this is this is more of his answer from the soundbite you heard at the very beginning of the show. The expectation is to get better. You know, we're going to push each other day in and day out. Every time we have a practice, even in the weight room, like I'll see like a, a offensive guy hit a certain weight on bench press or squat or something like that. And then I'll see a defensive guy go right behind him and either do the same weight or, you know, up the weight. So, you know, just, just being able to compete and make each other better because that's the only way that we're going to get better. You know, iron sharp is iron. So, you know, if if the defense is giving the offense, you know, a bad look one day in practice and then the offense is just scoring easily, in reality, that's not making them better. So we need we need to be able to push each other day in and day out in order for us to get better and, and move forward the, uh, the way that we know we can. So that's the rest of DTY's statement. And before you comment, Grant, I do want to play a couple more sound bites that go along the lines of Oklahoma expectations for 2021 just to get it all out there and then we can discuss. So uh, I asked Nick Benito and I also asked Spencer Rattler 
questions surrounding expectations. You're going to hear my question in both of these sound bites. Let's start with Benito. Hey, Nick, you've already kind of referenced the high expectations that you guys have for yourself this year. I think at the very beginning of this, you, you mentioned you want to get the last one. Um, and I, I'm assuming you're, you're kind of talking about the playoff championships, things like that. I'm just curious that around your team going in, I know it's early on, but do you get the sense that it's not just you, but everybody else kind of has that mindset of like, okay, we know the standard this year is pretty high. We have these expectations and it's up to us to simply just do what you can starting now to get to that point later in the year. I mean, yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, you can just tell it was just a different vibe when we came back uh, for spring workouts. And, and we all know, like, this this is the year and we, and we have huge goals in front of us. And, you know, obviously we got to take it one step at a time, but we definitely want um, looking to that end goal. But, you know, like, it just starts right now. Spring practice is going through it, you know, getting better at what we need to get at, you know, make, bringing the young guys along because, you know, we're we, we going to need those guys during the season for sure. So uh, I feel like, you know, it's definitely just going to start right now. And finally, Spencer Rattler, QB1. What do you need personally to accomplish this spring to ensure that you and your teammates are on schedule or maybe even ahead of schedule, get it going, going into the summertime so you guys are on, on track to accomplish those goals that you have for yourself this season? I think the thing with us is just not looking too far ahead and just focusing on day by day. Um, you know, last spring was taken away from us, so, you know, playing that season with the whole spring you know, spring of no football, it, it, you could see, you know, how we weren't, you know, on the same chemistry for those first couple games. But I think just going through spring ball with each other, competing, going hard, having fun, having great energy and focusing on the on the little things and just stacking stacking days and going day by day, that, that'll that'll help us improve a lot. So, you know, a couple days in the spring already, um, 13 more practices, trying to have 13 great more practices. That's the goal. All right, Grant, so Benito and DTY are two of the more seasoned players on the defense. They're both going to be expected to play extremely well in 2021. And, of course, the whole key to 2021 might be Spencer Rattler making a jump from being you know, really, really good like he was a season ago to an elite, obvious first quarterback taken in the NFL draft type talent. So as spring practice begins, do those players sound like they understand the task at hand and understand what it takes to get to the point that they can, let's say, win a playoff game. I hope so. They're cer- they're certainly saying all the right things, right? Um, yeah. The, the the part with DTY talking about uh, you know how they're so- sort of getting after each other in the weight room and stuff like that that uh, that kind of makes me chuckle a little bit. Um, you I back in the early to mid two thousands, you weren't super into kind of the old like message board culture um, and stuff like that, and I think. Um, there was, I'm assuming there's a pretty decent amount of people listening to this who, who were probably members on the old OU Insider website, you know, from the early to mid to late 2000s, which is, you know, gone now, rest in peace. Um, and it was always sort of an inside joke um, on those boards in the off season when some sort of story was written about, you know, like a rival in the conference, Texas or Kansas State or, you know, Nebraska, whoever it was that year or whatever, about how hard they were getting after it in the weight room. And, um, <laughs> And the inside joke was always, guys, better watch out. They're lifting weights. <laughs> <laughs> and so ever since then, the, uh, just the concept, like the phrase lifting weights makes me chuckle. Because it's just, uh. ah, man, crap. We didn't do that last spring. We didn't lift weights. That's why we were bad. Now we're doing it this time, and we're really good. So uh, I don't know. But no, I, to go back to it, 
Um, yeah, I mean, they're saying the right things. Um, and, you know, at this point in the season, you know, what do you expect them to say? Um, of course, they're not going to say, oh, no, these, you know, these goals are way too much for us to achieve. It's, it's <laughs> right. a massive, it's a massive hill we're climbing up here. I don't know if we can do it. Well, I don't, um, we're actually not that good. We're, yeah, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, but the, I was know, actually yeah, trying to figure out. I was going to say ahead. I was trying to figure out what what would have to be said in, in the answers to my questions for me to be like, that's not good. I, I couldn't really. I mean, it would have to be obviously bad, but I I think. I think they all did well, and, and I liked what I heard from the guys. I think they've all clearly got national championship in mind, and they know it's not just going to be handed to them. Just remember, I mean, a lot of these guys on this team a couple of years ago, they were around for that LSU Peach Bowl disaster. I mean, they saw front and center what a national championship team looks like. Granted, that, that might be one of the best teams, if not the best teams ever, to win a national championship, especially in the modern era. Uh, so, I mean, they know what that looks like. And I like that. I actually I like that DTY reference the weight room because they're competing in that room just as much as they're hopefully competing on the field. And it extends off the field, which I know that sounds like kind of a cliche, especially after the story you just told, which is kind of ridiculous. But I liked it when I heard it. Uh, and I, also another thing that DTY said that I, I did enjoy that's a little more nuanced that I appreciated was that he said that he uh, sometimes the defense is out there maybe giving the offense a bad look in practice. Well, I mean, that doesn't help anybody because if they're giving a, a bad look to the offense and the offense does something really well, uh, it's a false sense of accomplishment for the offense. And that's not going to help anybody on the field because they're not going to see that kind of defense in a real live game situation. So I kind of like that, that nuance part of it. Uh, and then lastly, Spencer Rattler, I thought he was good. Uh, yeah, I know the whole day-by-day -day thing is a cliche. Like, what are they going to say? But, but it's true. I mean, it's a cliche for a reason. He knows. You can tell he knows. And it's probably not just him. Everybody kind of knows missing out on spring ball last year hurt the team in 2020, early on especially. I mean, they lost their, their two games in the first couple of weeks, first few weeks. So I like that since spring last year was taken away. It sounds like they're putting even more emphasis on spring practice this year where Oklahoma legitimately has the tools and legitimately has the talent to compete for a national championship. So, you know, maybe if everything was just normal last year, everything was there was no pandemic, no COVID, uh, maybe there's a chance that this spring right now that we're in maybe could be taken for granted a little bit by these guys when they have such a great chance to win a national title. And that's not going to happen, I don't think, because they missed last season. So I kind of like that. Yeah, and you know, not to make not to make too much light of the whole, you know, lifting thing. I, you know, strength and conditioning program is a big deal. It's a really big deal in, in a football program. Um and, and a lot of the times the weight room breeds competition. So, you know, that's it's it, it's just funny, you know, because every college football team lifts, but there absolutely is, you know, there's definitely a dividing line between, you know, good strength and conditioning programs and bad ones. Um just another funny story. I used to go to the University of Minnesota and uh, the the first the first year that I was there, Tim Brewster was the head coach at, at Minnesota, um, and I was I was in a class with one of the football players. He, he was he was low on the depth chart. He didn't really ever play, um, but he was telling me. Oh, I think he was a kicker. That's right. He was a kicker. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, he was telling me this was right after Tim Brewster got fired, that their strength and conditioning program was literally the same for every single position group. So the kickers were lift were lifting in the exact same manner that the offensive linemen were lifting in, um, and I was just like, "Wait, what? 
are you serious? And he's like, I he's swear to God. He's like, it's not, it's literally no different at all. We're all in the same weight training program. And like, that's just, that's, that just shines a light of an example there of, yeah, it's, it's maybe not, it, it's definitely not a given that every strength yeah. and conditioning coordinator knows what they're doing. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, what's, what do you think you said, you know, what's, what's something that they could say that would really make you go, Oh gosh, these guys don't get yeah. it. I was thinking, you know, what's a thing they could say to make you just like super excited? And um, and we, we didn't hear it at all. You know, I, I don't think in any of those three clips, because I think the one thing that would get you really pumped up is if they said, yeah, man, you know, I'm just I've, I've just been in the film room every day when I'm not studying, when I'm not lifting. I'm just in the film room, just studying film, looking at all the other teams and you know, in the conference, just studying film every single game that would like that would make you just. Well, we, we we can't talk about it on the podcast, but that would make you really excited, would it not? Oh, absolutely it would. And it's funny you mention that because I don't have this sound, but one of the de defensive players did reference film on Monday. And it's – I'm trying to think of a way to to prompt it to you to make it interesting. I don't know. Did you, did you see who talked on, on Monday, the defensive players? Do you know? I mean, I, I sent you the yeah, stuff, I mean, I, so you probably I, saw it. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. And they're all, they're all leaders. They're all really good players. It, Isaiah Thomas talked about how the you know the extra time in the spring, yeah, film, film among other things. So film was mentioned by at least one person, but not in an answer to the expectations type question. But yeah, you, you know me well. I, you know, anytime people get in the film room, I'm excited. The question is always, are they watching film in a smart way? Are they actually learning stuff from it? Because uh, not to throw somebody under the bus, but I'm going to briefly because he's in the NFL now, and I wish him the best. But from day one on campus. Kenneth Murray talked about how much he liked to watch film and get in the film room, but it sure didn't look like it until maybe year three for him with, <laughs> with uh, Alex Grinch there because he looked lost a lot of the time, and I don't know what he was taking from film room. It certainly wasn't uh, pass coverage feels. It was, it was more the stop and the run and, and that. So anyways, that very mean of me to do that to Kenneth Murray, this uh, uh, future potential uh, – I, I don't want to say all pro or pro bowl. I'm not sure if he's going to be that good, but he was a first round pick. So he very well could be, I think he'll do okay with me uh, throwing a little bit of shade his way on this podcast. So not to, uh, uh, not, not, yeah. not to hang on to this subject for too long. Um, this, this thought just, just popped into my head. I, I don't think there's, there's a, there's a better indictment on the Mike Stoops regime, obviously than Kenneth Murray. And this is probably a point we've already made, but it just has anyone actually just sat down and thought about the jump that he made from 2018 to 2019? Um, you know, because you know Kenneth Murray, he did I bet have you a have. Good, he, oh yeah, he he did have a good reputation in the Big 12 in 2018, and pretty much every OU fan was confused by that. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure we talked about it on this podcast in, in nice ways leading into the 2019 season. Probably, I think he was you know preseason All Big 12 and all, and we we're just like. Are you, are you sure about that? Like, and yeah, they, it made us look stupid because he was one of the best defensive players in the Big 12 in 2019. He's one of the he best defensive season. players in the country last or in, in 2019. But um, no, yeah. I, I, um, while we're on the while we're on the subject of the offseason and motivation, you know, to get better and stuff like that. Um, this is something I've been sort of throwing around, you know, in my in my mind the last couple of weeks since we last recorded. Do you think it's really valuable? Because I, I do. I think this is really valuable. I think it's great. Two things. One, I think it's great that Texas has a new uh, a new head coach, 
and they kind of have a bunch of different energy in the program and they're just like, oh yeah, that's great. I think that I, th- I think that could uh, sort of sharpen the focus of OU just because that's how college football works. You know, rivals think about each other a lot. That's how it works. Um, but second, and I think most important point, how important do you think it is that Iowa State has essentially returned their entire team from last year? Um, and why, you know, why else would they do that other than they want to win the Big 12 championship and maybe go to the, you know, maybe go to the playoff? And of course, they have good reason to think that they can do that because they beat OU once last year and got really close to beating them a second time. Um, do you think that, do you think OU's personnel, the guys that they have on campus right now, do you think they will internalize the struggles that they had against Iowa State last season? Because both those games, those were battles. Both of those games were battles. Um, and in the end, just you know, I think you know, the, the ball just sort of bounced Iowa State's way in the first one, and the second one, that was the case for OU. Um, how much do you think them all being back, because clearly they're all back because they want to they win it all. And so I think it's really good that OU has an adversary in, in the conference sure. because that'll mean maybe they won't get so lazy. You know, or at least that'll that'll prevent them from getting lazy. And so I, I think that's really important, especially especially because, you know, they Iowa State at, at times last year absolutely looked OU's equal. I mean hell, yeah. they were the they were the regular season champions. And I and I'm 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 hoping there's still a bit of a chip on OU's shoulder about that. Um still a you know, still a chip about them losing in Ames, uh getting up twenty one to nothing on them and and you know, letting them get back into the game, stuff like that. And so um, I don't know. I, I really hope they're using that as motivation, you know, during the season too. And I think it's, it, it's kind of like the theory of, you know, like when, when the United States in the cold war, it's like, you know, Russia was the adversary. Everybody was focused on that. And that sort of brought the country together. It's, it's kind of the same principle as that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't see that analogy coming, but I'll, uh, man, that's, that's good stuff. Didn't see that coming on the West of Everest podcast. No, that's, that's good. Good, uh, uh, what's the right word? Not acknowledgments. Um, I can't think of the right word. I can't. My brain's not working. But I hadn't thought of it, Texas, much like that. But that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, OU players and fans they think a lot more about Texas than I do. I very rarely ever think about Texas unless it's Texas Week. That's just the way my brain works. I I don't really care that much about them. Like they're kind of irrelevant. But they're a little bit more relevant considering they have a new coach now. And I think Sark can be really good but we've discussed already the possible drawbacks of the whole university of texas and, and See, that's what, that's how it, i feel about oklahoma state is that they don't they're they're not important enough to really occupy my mind <laughs> okay that's fair uh, but the iowa state thing is well i wasn't aware that they were returning basically their entire team i mean i knew when purdy came back and montgomery came back and kohler and I, you know, I was thinking, okay, some of these main guys are coming back because they, they think they're going to be pretty good. I guess I didn't realize that they were returning that many players. The way I look at it, though, it just sucks for them that this is kind of their open window in, in a way, too. And this is, in theory, the, the best chance Oklahoma's had in a long time. And it just kind of – it also it comes at the same time as Iowa State and I guess maybe Texas being better. That's kind of the only thing I can think of um, – when it comes to this and I hope you're right I hope it definitely makes Oklahoma focus a lot more when especially it comes to those those games on the schedule and yeah you know like and and anyone can correct me on this too um I essentially they're the only notable departures that they had off that team are Jaquan Bailey and Orion Vance everyone else is back I think everyone is back on offense 
Like their enti- I know their entire offensive line is back, and of course, I mean, Brees Hall was an All-American last year. He was definitely oh, yeah. the what best. Did I, say? You know. <laughs> I, I said Montgomery. Sorry, I meant Brees Hall. I, I was Bre- talking about the old uh, Iowa State running back. And until, you know, and, and Brees Hall was absolutely the best running back in the Big 12 until Ramondre Stevenson came back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know. I, I just think that's a really interesting storyline. There's a part of me who thinks that, you know, Iowa State is almost certainly not going to live up to that hype this upcoming year. Uh, but a lot of that is just sort of based on history. And, you know, history is really important in this sport. But when it gets down to brass tacks, it actually, you know, when you're between the lines and you're actually playing the game, it doesn't mean a G-dang thing. I'm assuming in 2021 that Iowa State and Iowa, yeah. So here's the thing, Grant. Here's how you can decide pretty pretty quickly if, if Iowa State's going to be a, a threat. Can they beat Iowa in September? They never beat Iowa. They never do. If they beat Iowa this year, okay, eh, they, they, they could be onto something. And I was so dumb. And Iowa should be pretty, you know, pretty above average next year too. I mean, that's a good yeah. team that they're, and you know, they're at home in that game. Well, so even yeah, in the years when Iowa wasn't all that great and Iowa State was getting better, they were they were losing to Iowa, which made me so mad. You're right. I mean, that's that's going to be uh, that's going to be a really good weather vane for Iowa State or for Iowa State right away. You know, if they come out and they beat Iowa by two touchdowns, I mean, that's that'd be impressive. But hey, you know, this is the team that that literally lost you know by 17 points to Louisiana Lafayette. In week one last week, so yeah, it's not like yeah that that team's not going to overwhelm you with their talent. All right, I have what they call in the business <laughs> as a uh, a hard out. So we have about an hour to get through everything. So we got a, we got a lot of stuff to get to. So let's begin with spring practice. Let's start on the defensive end. I have a lot more thoughts on the defense. We can do a little offense at the end, but maybe we can save offense. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do a, a show next week. We might. We might start getting back to weekly shows. I don't know. We'll. I'm, I'm sorry I don't have a, a solid answer for you right now today, but we haven't talked about it much. But with things actually happening with practices, I, I guess there's more stuff to talk about. And so potentially we can go back to weekly. Do, do you have any objections to that right now, Grant, that you can think of? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm making okay with it that. in stone right now in case I, I got to look at my schedule for next week. But I think that should be a thing. Anyways. I want to throw that out there. Let's start with the defense, and let's start at the nickel spot. We're going to talk about Buki more in detail later in the show. I want to just go with the nickel position currently at Oklahoma because Buki is gone. Obviously, so is Trey Norwood, so that position is wide open. And Jeremiah Cradell, he was talked up quite a bit by Lincoln Riley last week. It sounds like he's going to get a chance to win that starting job. We talked to Alex Grinch on Monday. Let's get Grinch's thoughts on Cradell. I look back at my entirety of my career and think about guys that made a big jump between year and one, year two, and now that they may not show up on Saturdays quite yet. But I don't know that there's anybody I've been around that made a bigger jump between that first year uh, and that second year. Really swimming the first year and then second year, all of a sudden you're saying, well, wait a second, if he can make that same jump, now we got one. Um, and so that's the challenge to him. I think he's had a, a really good off season, you know, from a physical standpoint, athletic standpoint. Those those numbers uh, continue to increase. You know, from a mental aptitude standpoint, understands the defense, understands uh, the things he's going to be asked to do. And so th- there's no reason he can't make that jump. Um, and that's the challenge for me as a position coach, and then uh, obviously for him individually to to do those things. Some high expectations early on for Jeremiah Cradell, and I want to clarify something i'm sure everyone that listens to this podcast you, you get this but uh, this is not uh, you know Cradell's first year was 2018 i'm sorry 2019 year two was last year 
And so the jump between his first year and then last year, Grinch said, was a, you know, a big jump. Obviously, Cradell played a good amount last year, but not – I mean, he was like sparingly in that nickel here and there. Uh, so the thought is, you know, with a spring practice here, summer ball, I mean, it's, it kind of sounds like, Grant, that it's, am I crazy to think that Jeremiah Cradell might be the favorite early on to be the starting nickel? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been some smoke, especially since, you know, the season ended. Um, yeah, I mean, there's I, I've been hearing a lot of really good things about Jeremiah Cordell. Um, and so my first thought is, is I hope that's why Buki transferred, is that he that he knew that Cordell was was going to be the guy. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, two weeks ago we did our you know, we did the whole, you know, like the top five most important offensive players, you know, have a good spring and stuff like that. And I, I don't have a. I don't have a list this time because I couldn't pare it down. It was just there's just way too many guys who need to take a step on defense. Um, but the guy that I thought would would probably be number one on that list is Jeremiah Cradell. Is the guy who needs to have the biggest spring, just because I you know going into the season that nickel spot that is by far the biggest question mark in their secondary. Um, and we know in Alex Grinch's defense that's a really important position, um, especially in the Big Twelve, being able to cover guys in the slot extremely important. That's something that Buki really excelled at. Um, and it would it, it would be unfortunate if they if, if they lost that ability in the slot. So obviously it's it's great to hear this about Jeremiah Cradell because his first two years on campus they weren't saying these things at all. Um, and so and, and like if he if he wasn't any good, there's no way they would be pumping him up like this. Um, so uh, yeah, clearly the expectations in the program for Cradell are really high. And like I said, I I, I hope that's the reason why Buki is not with us anymore. Um, uh, we'll see. I don't know. He's, but he's, he's one of a ton of guys in the secondary, right. That need yeah. to take a step. Yeah. And I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on Cordell aside from when he came in last season and spelled Buki and spelled Trey Norwood, he was fine. He was, he was okay. He, I don't re- recall any sort of glaring mistakes, omissions. I don't also don't recall any sort of big plays. I don't recall him doing a whole lot of crazy, awesome plays. It's just, he was kind of there and he, he was neutral in a way. And, now he's going to get more of a chance to shine. That's great. So that's the nickel spot. But obviously, it's Oklahoma. It's Alex Grinch. There's plenty of young players and other safeties, defensive backs, that are going to get a chance at that position. And one name that we heard come up this week that I, I know I haven't heard much about because I don't look into this stuff. I don't follow recruiting that much. But apparently, this Billy Bowman guy is supposed to be pretty good, Grant. And big news this week. We find out that Billy Bowman, he was an athlete, recruited as an athlete, that he's going to start at, at defense. And so he's a player that's going to that's getting reps right now at nickel. So he is being thrown in there at nickel along with Jeremiah Cradell. And that's those are the, the two players I think we know of right now that are getting reps at that spot. I'm sure there's other players as well. It's, it's kind of unclear. In my mind, and we can talk about Bowman a little bit. I actually have some thoughts on him, but just keep it more specific, nickel. The other players that kind of look at that I'm just curious, are they looking at them at nickel or different spots? you got Key Lawrence, the Tennessee transfer. Is he a nickel or is he a safety? He's got position flexibility. We'll find out. Justin Harrington, will he eventually end up there? Apparently, Justin Harrington, we got a little bit on him in a moment. He's been working at corner, actually, coming back, and he's wearing a knee brace. we got Alex Grinch talking about Justin Harrington, but he's a position flexible guy as well. Uh, and also, I don't know much about redshirt freshman Kendall Dennis. I, I don't know if he's a guy, but is he going to be working at nickel or do they have him at, at safety depth? 
those are the other names to throw out there because it's an Oklahoma football podcast that I'm kind of thinking of. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of those players. We're going we're gonna to talk more extensively about Harrington Grant here in a moment, and we're going to talk more extensively about Bowman in a moment. But uh, Key Lawrence, Kendall Dennis, do, do you have anything on those guys, what you're thinking? I don't know. Well, I mean, we just don't know a lot about them yet. Right, uh, right. Key Lawrence, really the only, I mean, the only thing I know about him is that, um, I mean, I, I, I saw the pictures of him in the new uniform and stuff like that. And I, and, and this is kind of one of my things. I haven't done it, you know, for, for this class yet. I'll probably do it kind of at the start of the summer when all the guys are on campus. But I really do like to see what these guys look like physically. Are they ready to play major college football? Um, Key Lawrence and, you know, and what I've seen passes that with flying colors. He looks big. He looks like he fills out his uniform. He looks like he he spent a year already lifting a ton of weights in a college football program. So he looks great. Another guy I thought that looked amazing, and I know I'm I'm, I'm kind of going off the path here a little bit. Isaiah Coe looked really great uh, physically uh, with all of that as well. So, but yeah, I mean, in, until then, I I just I don't know what we have in Key Lawrence yet. I know that he was a blue chip recruit. I know he was someone that OU really really wanted uh, when he you know, at a high school as well, and they got him now, and he's exactly sort of the physical specifications that, that this defense wants. So um, obviously we, we, we hope that he, that he emerges and is a good player for them. Uh, about Kendall Dennis, I, you know, I, I was reading a little bit of smoke about him kind of during the season as he was a guy who was, who was flashing a bit in practice, but just like wasn't really able to put it all together in turn like the, the mental part and, you know, being in the right position at all times. Um, he's a guy, he's got really good high school film. Uh, he's pretty explosive if you watch his stuff. And so, uh, I think he was a guy who was pretty under the radar uh, in his recruiting class, but, uh, we'll see. I mean, how, how great would it be if, I mean, if they just, if they have a bunch of dudes who are, who are in their second year on campus are going to, are going to take that step. Um, I mean, we're going to know, I mean, we're going to be able to actually see them in live reps in the spring game in, in a little over a month. So we'll see. Now, how about Billy Bowman? Because we know that he is repping at nickel. How much have you followed him? I know you, you follow recruiting a little bit more than I do. You, you watch tape of guys a little bit more than I do. Do you have, like, what are your thoughts on him right now? Because honestly, I, I haven't looked into him until before this podcast, and I actually went and watched some, some high school video of him. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy, again, you know, under the radar. He's a guy I really hadn't paid a ton of attention to. Uh, you know, when it comes to recruiting, and and that's not because I I you know I didn't realize that he was a big time recruit. I think he's a top fifty recruit in the country in every service, basically. Um, I I think the part that gives me hesitance isn't the right word, but maybe sort of makes me pause a little bit is that athlete designation. Um, I think in recruiting that could mean like one of two things: like you're not good enough for either of those positions, or you're really really good, and the only reason why you're not a top ten recruit in the country is because you didn't you you weren't at just one position. And so hopefully, I hope it's the latter with Billy Bowman. Um, and we're at the point now where absolutely, I mean, if you have athletes that come in um, and they can play multiple positions I, or on multiple sides of the ball, yeah, I, I, I want him to be on defense right now. I think if, you know, if, if they think for an athlete like that, if that's where, his, you know, that's where he's best going to be, that's great. I mean, we saw at the end of last season, that is, that's, that's, it's looking like that's going to work out for, uh, for DJ Graham. Um, who, you know, who, who was, he came in, he was a wide receiver in high school, came in as an athlete and he, I think he started at receiver and then switched over to corner. Um, and he, I, he looks like a natural corner. So I hope, um, I hope the same can be said for Billy Bowman. Like that, that's the thing. I, I don't know. I, I know he, I know he played at the highest class in Texas football. I know he was a uh, very, very, is it the second? Okay, he went to Denton think, Ryan, right? 
Yeah, that's class 5A. I'm pretty sure Texas is it, okay. goes up to 6. I think Texas Okay, so that's my mistake. I, I thought Denton was would have been the, the highest class, but uh, I, I know he's very well regarded. I think he was an all-state guy in Texas, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, we'll see. I mean, it, it'd be sweet if he's one of those guys that just that you just can't keep off the field. Um, I was uh, a couple weeks ago. I told everyone that I, you know, I, I I've been kind of going back and watching some older OU games recently, and um, I, I went back and I and I watched some games leave from the 2000 season. Um, it's horrible quality. It's really hard to watch, but still, it's I still wanted to see it. And while I was watching it, man, I, it's there were numerous times in the games where I was watching where I was like. Holy crap! Derek Strait's the best player on the field as a freshman, um, and I mean that's that includes with Rocky Kalmus and Torrance Marshall and all those guys. Um, and so I mean it's it'd be pretty sweet if if you know a guy can step in and, and you know and play really well like that. But I'm not I'm not counting on Billy Bowman to be a major part of of the defense. Anything we get from him is just gravy. Okay. Yeah, I uh, like I said, I watched a couple of his highlight videos today before we started recording, and I, I got to say, I get it with this guy. If I had to describe him with one word, it would probably be smooth. And then the next word I would use is polished because the main thing that jumps out to me in his highlight tapes, and granted, these are highlight tapes, so it's all going to be the best stuff. I get that, but that's just the way it is. Uh, his special teams returns, mostly punt returns, uh, I mean, he's got great vision. I'm not sure why anybody kicked him to him in high school. He had a lot of touchdowns on punt returns. He had a lot of touchdowns out of the wide receiver position. He looks plenty fast. He took some handoffs in the highlight tapes as well. He's a very decisive runner. Again, great vision. You can just see it. He, he, he picks the hole. He likes it. He explodes. He puts his foot in the ground and goes. But he's playing defense right now at Oklahoma. So fortunately they did put a good amount of defensive snaps on his tape. And from what I saw, he's got really good instincts in the secondary. I saw him read the quarterback's eyes playing center field and he jumped a route, got an interception. He had an easy pick six when he jumped around on a bubble screen to a wide receiver. My only concern in the six to eight minutes of, of tape, I watched highlight tape and granted that's not a whole lot, but it's something to go off of. My only concern is I don't know if he's a good tackler and he looked to throw a lot of shoulders at players and it kind of reminded me of another former nickel that played at Oklahoma recently that just transferred uh, kind of reminded me of Buki and Buki got better at tackling from year one to year two with Alex Grinch and that coaching staff on board so my thoughts are hopefully Billy Bowman doesn't develop any bad habits here on campus with this current coaching staff and hopefully he can become an effective tackler other than that uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm just kind of curious to see where Key Lawrence goes. Uh, you know, I, I know he's got position flexibility. Uh, at least he was at Tennessee last year in kind of limited playing time. But other than that, I, I get it with Billy Bowman, and now all of a sudden, I'm intrigued. I am. I'm intrigued by him. I really like that you describe him as a, as a smooth athlete. Um, those are the guys that you want, the guys who are easy athletes, right? It makes it look like yeah. th- they're not even exerting any effort. Uh, DeMarco Murray was like that you know, when he was in college. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. You know, effortless athleticism is, you know, is evidence that you are a freak athlete. All right. Let's talk about the secondary as I try to find the next soundbite. Bear with me for one second. Here we go. All right. So Pat Fields, uh, I kind of hinted earlier and everyone knows by now he's going to miss most of, if not all of spring practice, according to Lincoln Riley. Riley said that he's getting something cleaned up, something minor. Okay, he's not going to be able to, to play much. 
And if he doesn't play a whole lot, I can't imagine he'll come back. I mean, maybe he'll come back for a couple light practices at the end, but pretty hard to imagine him playing in the spring game if he very rarely practices at all this spring. Anyways, there's several guys from the secondary that aren't around anymore, according to Alex Grinch. We know that. And I'm trying to set up an Alex Grinch soundbite here. So Grinch was talking about on, on Monday, you know, with the thought of fields being out, it gives a lot more opportunities for all these young players coming in. So Alex Grinch says that it, it's a great opportunity for all these young players that are here now because there's so many guys that are out the door. And here's more on Alex Grinch on the young secondary players. And this is kind of an interesting soundbite. You know, I'm going to plug all of our, our, our freshmen that are in here uh, right now. I, 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 it, it's as good as a group that uh, uh, I've ever been around. And that's, that's, you know, let's throw high expectations on, on, on some of these guys. Probably not real smart on my part. But I, I, I also want to challenge those guys. That we, 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 we say that now. And it's talking about it's Trell McCutcheon. You know, we already talked about Billy. Yeah, Jordan Mukes. Out of Choctaw, who, who's, uh, you know, Keyshawn Lawrence, who just walked in here, Clayton Smith, and Ethan, Ethan Dowd, Isaiah Coe. I can go on and on and on and on uh, about that group. Um, I, I, seamless is probably not the right word, but uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think any group in, in the country walks in in, in, in a January, uh, especially coming off the year that we had, and, and really has hit the ground running. And that's, that's been, and I bring that up specifically to be, because we're getting quality reps out of them already, day one. Uh, with, with a guy like Pat being out and some other guys dinged up and some of those things. That, that, that makes it a lot more enjoyable that you're not just correcting everything that they do. You know they're going to screw up because it's their first day, they're a high school senior. Uh, a lot of credit goes to them because, you know, Jordan Muke showed well today, the trail McCutcheon as well. You know, so all that stuff uh, um, gives you an opportunity. And the good thing is uh, thus far they've taken advantage of it. Uh, so Alex Grinch, he's uh, going to throw a bunch of expectations, high expectations on this group. Eh, it may not be the best idea, but hey, why not? You know, whatever. I, I'm going to do it. That's classic uh, Alex Grinch there, Grant. Uh, your takeaways from that soundbite. Jeez, man. Juxtapose how he sounded there with some of his first press conferences at OU Ooh. when he first came in. He was not that positive at all <laughs> when he first got here. At all. Um, That's a great point. I don't know. Yeah, like... Uh, you know, Alex Grinch, this is his third year now. He, he, he most certainly does not strike me as a BSer. He really has never been that at all. Um, man, be careful, Alex. You're, you're getting me pretty pumped up. Be careful. <laughs> um, cause yeah, I mean, that's, that's ob- obviously I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Um, I already talked about how, you know, for me, especially Billy Bowman in that recruiting class may have gone a little under the radar and it was because I was always focused on Latrell McCutcheon, who I thought his high school tape was awesome. Like I, he looked like a guy who was ready to come in and play man to man right away. Um, and then, you know, another guy, I'm, I'm glad he mentioned Clayton Smith as well. I don't know. Do, do you have that in the, in the script at all? We can talk about Clayton Smith. Um, you can, I, but I don't he, have it in the script, but you can talk about him. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's smoke that this guy, that he's special, like us, like really special. Um, and I just like, I mean, we already know what they have on campus in terms of pass rushers. Um, they're already going to be a load for for teams, you know, throughout the country in this conference, whatever. Jeez, man, if they could if they could throw just a true freshman out there who all he does is just rush the passer, and he's just another guy that the defense has to account for. That would be that'd be a big deal. Um, and so, yeah, you know, Clayton Smith is another guy. You look at look at you know pictures of him and stuff like that. Another guy who looks very physically ready to play right now uh, in terms of his size. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think this was this was a small recruiting class for OU. I think they only signed 16 guys, 
But man, there's a lot of quality in there. I, I think this is pound for pound. I think this is the best recruiting class they've had in over a decade. Um, and I'm I'm really ex- I'm excited to see what you know what these guys can do. Yeah, Clayton Smith listed as an outside linebacker, six four, two twenty eight, true freshman coming in. Uh, that sounds good. I like that. I don't know much about him, so I won't comment really on him at all at the moment. But as far as what Alex Grinch said there, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I'm just I'm curious about who's going to get the reps at safety. It's still unclear right now. Uh, he didn't give any definitive comments on who's taking those reps those that Pat Fields would normally have. But knowing him, knowing Oklahoma, that defense under him, it's a bunch of people. I'm sure he's sliding a bunch of guys in and out, multiple spots, cross-training as, as they call it. Uh, you know, like, is this going to be the spot where Key Lawrence maybe shines in the spring? Maybe they see him as he's kind of a taller guy. Maybe they throw him back there and play safety uh, where Pat Fields or when Pat Fields is out. I don't know. Um, now, looking I'm kind of trying to discuss the uh the Pat Fields the free safety spot that's kind of in a way open right now since he's hurt or he's not going to be able to play you got Bryson Washington potentially back there as well and Jordan Mukes who you heard Grinch mention a couple of times that he had a good first day uh those guys are going to get more reps than they otherwise would if Pat Fields was healthy both players they are bigger than Pat Fields Washington's 6-2 Mukes is 6-1 you throw in Key Lawrence he's 6-1 I know size isn't everything but we've documented this ever since Grinch started recruiting he's got a type that he likes back there he likes big tall rangy guys and lastly a little kind of touching a little bit on kind of what you said about Grinch not being a, a BSer and he kind of is a straight shooter I like that he's throwing all these high expectations on all these young players because he's always been honest with us to your point I don't think he would blow smoke like perhaps eh, maybe some other coaches in the past maybe would have just I don't know I mean just kind of off the top of my head I don't know it's happened maybe before not just at Oklahoma but at other other programs I'm sure as well so I like that he told us that they're already giving them or that the players are already giving them quality reps and they're not having to correct everything they do so like it's it's not like day one of like oh this guy's terrible here's technique like it sounds like they're getting some things right and they can potentially be ahead of schedule in a lot of ways with these guys so I liked everything I heard from that soundbite for sure you know when we talk about Pat Fields being out you know what are we what are we hoping to you know to accomplish not really with him being out but we talk about the limitations of Pat Fields right we I mean we Pat Fields is is generally pretty much always in the right spot it's just he's he's athletically limited right I mean that's that's sort of the knock that we have on him and so over the spring, Pat Fields, who is, who, who is more kind of playing, I'm not going to say he does this all the time, but if there is a position in this, in this defense for that, he's, he's kind of the center fielder, right? Whereas DTY is, is, is more you know, up closer to the line of scrimmage. Yep. And typically, you want your center fielder to be a guy who has a lot of range, a guy who can close on a ball and pick some stuff off. Uh, typically, that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with having length and size. Um, and those three guys that you just reeled off, they check every single one of those boxes. Um, and we'll see. I mean, did you even mention Bryson Washington? Yeah, I don't think you did, right? You yeah. did. Yeah, I mentioned. Yeah, he oh, you was did. A, yeah, I think you might have been the first guy I mentioned. <laughs> okay, well, him and Mukes. Oops. No, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I yeah, I mean that's I'm I'm glad that they have guys waiting in the wings right there who kind of check all of the physical profile boxes. Um, and anyway, again, talking about guys who who look physically ready, a guy that. Uh, I, I the one guy in this recruiting class I was sort of pumping the brakes on and saying eh, I don't see this really working out was Jordan Mukes, uh, just because I I thought his high school tape was awkward very obviously was not a natural football player 
Um, gee, talk about a guy though who looks physically ready. He does. Um, and his his length is like kind of overwhelming. It, it's crazy how long he is. So, um, yeah. I mean, I just I, I can't really say more about that other than I really hope I'm wrong about Jordan Mukes mm-hmm. and. Sounds like, you know, first impressions are good. And also bonus points back in the back end, strong safety, free safety, just any safety, well, any position on the field, but specifically the safeties in Alex Grinch's defense. And I've watched a, a bunch of 2019, as I'll get to later, back not as much 2020, but it's the same defense. What was really driven into me watching back 2019 again, and I'm sure I'll see the same thing in 2020, is that Man, Alex Grinch asks his safeties to play in a lot of really difficult situations all the time as far as covering receivers in the slot. He asked Pat Fields and DTY to essentially play man coverage from a safety spot against slot players all the time. And that is one of the most difficult things as a secondary player to do because a lot of the times you're flat-footed, you have to, you're kind of in a neutral spot, and you don't know where they're going, whether they're going deep, whether they're going to go short. And so you got to be really good at covering. And Pat Fields and DTY are fine, but they're not elite. And again, they're being put in really tough spots. Not a lot of players, I think, would be able to be successful. But since they're going to get so many reps at it, these younger players, hopefully, maybe, hopefully, maybe, (laughs) uh, there's a little bit more talent back there. So just that's something I've noticed a lot watching back 2019, and I'm sure 2020 is the same way. Uh, They ask a lot out of the safeties. And there's no surprise, Alex Grinch, that's – the position he coaches I mean he's the safeties coach and he asks a lot out of those guys let's talk about Justin Harrington Grant and he's a player that it was a bummer that he wasn't able to play last season we all kind of thought that uh, I remember hearing smoke about how he could potentially play in the back end he could be a nickel could be a safety he could be a starter coming from the juco ranks but he got hurt uh, he's been dealing with injuries apparently for a lot of his football career and Alex Grinch talked about Justin Harrington I think I mentioned earlier He's working at cornerback right now, but he does have some position flexibility. Uh, Grinch talked about him on Monday. He said that he, he had a knee injury going back to high school, and he played two years of juco ball basically with a torn-up knee and played a pretty high level considering his knee was all jacked up. My words, not Alex Grinch's. Uh, he's been dealing with these injuries, I guess, for a long time, and at this point he's playing with a knee brace as spring begins. Here's uh, some Alex Grinch on Harrington. Like compare him right now to kind of where you know Trey Norwood was a year ago, maybe this time, where you, where you had that, you know, play, being a defensive back with a knee brace on, um, you know, there, there's a reason we, 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 you know, don't put those on those guys. Um, from an off-season standpoint, he has done a tremendous job. You see the movement, you know, he's a guy we're awfully excited about uh, doing some corner work for us right now. Uh, which I, I think could be a real good spot for him. Again, we'll see how the, the, the depth ultimately kind of shakes out in the end. He does have position flexibility that way. No, I, I think a, a guy that uh, I don't think we could ever expect him to be further along in the process than where he's at right now, you know, considering, uh, you know, joining us in the fall and then immediately going into surgery and that. He's probably, uh, you know, uh, well ahead with what you could ever hope for. So, so it is positive as it can be it sounds like with Harrington uh, I don't have a whole lot on him my my only thought though is I look at him as a corner he's 6'3 217 that's a big old corner and if he can legitimately play that I mean I'm thinking like think of the big tall rangy corners in the NFL that have been really good for a year. I mean, I, I think of a guy like Richard Sherman. I think he's a big, tall guy. He's like 6'3", 6'4". Obviously, he was a great press cover three-corner with Seattle and has had a, another good 
kind of second half of his career in San Francisco in a lot of ways. I'm not saying that that's what Justin Harrington's going to be, obviously, but I just based on his size, it makes me think of players like that and the idea of a big old corner after for years, Grant, Oklahoma has had tiny, tiny little corners where six foot is max. And I don't even know if they've had it. Like DJ Graham, I think, is listed at – I think he's actually like 5'11". So, and like Trey Brown's 5'11", Parnell Motley was 5'11". I mean, the idea of a big old corner makes me kind of excited. That's my main takeaway from, from Grinch talking about Harrington. Interesting. Like, so you, you thought that was, that was really positive? And if, yeah, I mean, he didn't say anything negative about Harrington. Um, ah, my, my instinct after looking at that is, is thinking, ah, we maybe – I think we all maybe need to press the brakes a little on Harrington. That, that was my takeaway from that. Um, it's the it's the him being at corner that has me confused. Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's that's a massive corner. I mean, he's that would be that's a massive corner in the NFL. Um, and like I said, I mean, if he's if he's at the point where he can play corner at that size, I feel like there's no excuse to not have him at the nickel. You know, like I just because he's so big. Um, I, I mean, I, I I think in a lot of ways the nickel is more important than than corner in the Big Twelve. Um, well, I think Alex Grinch has a type for nickel we're learning because, I mean, I know Buki is, is a lot smaller, but look at the guys they've thrown in there now. Just I mean, right now, I mean, uh, Bowman, Cradell, even Norwood. I mean, they're kind of like 5'11", stocky kind of guys. Like, apparently, he, he's my thoughts and my wants of Robert Barnes being this big old nickelback. It, it was never in the cards, apparently. That's just not how Alex Grinch sees his nickel. It yeah, would I mean, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, I guess I, I just don't know. I, I don't, I, I've watched a little of his Juco tape and I don't remember ever seeing him play corner at all. So, I mean, this, I, I think they, they clearly have this in their head that like, they probably like the idea of having just a massive corner. Um, and I mean, I, I understand the logic. If he can really turn and run with receivers, then I mean, yeah, I can absolutely see that. I mean, talk about being able to pretty much if he's, if he's good man to man coverage, you can kind of erase large receivers, right? I mean, he's because he's going to be bigger than essentially every receiver he goes up against. So I, it's it's interesting, but I think it's one of those things where, yeah, could absolutely. come in handy Big against Iowa State. And so, like, that's it's definitely interesting. Where you know, I think a lot of us, we as a fan base, a lot of people, we already kind of have this, you know, this vision in our head, right? You know, DJ Graham and Woody Washington are the corners because they, you know, because they both were playing really well at the end of the season. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, it's probably smart to remind us that that doesn't always work out that way. Um, and so, and I think we all, we all had the vision of, of Harrington. I thought everyone thought that Harrington was going to be a safety or a nickel. And so, so hearing that they, they're working him at corner, like my instinct is like, well, that means he's probably not, you know, ready to, to come in and be an impact player right away. But I guess we'll see. I don't know. Like I, yeah, it's a good point that. It's a good point. I hadn't considered that. You're right, Graham and Washington. I mean, they solidified I mean, Washington for sure. I mean, Washington and has one of yeah, those spots that's, yeah. locked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. So maybe, yeah, like like you said, maybe the, him playing corner is a kind of an admission that he's a little behind and he's not really competing for a starting spot right now. I I didn't consider that. That's a good point. I, and that and yeah, I mean, but he has that posi- again position flexibility. So they're gonna if he's if he's one of those guys that they feel like he's one of their best five or six, they're going to get him on the field somewhere. That's kind of, I mean, that's the way Alex Grinch. Works. And so, I mean, it could, I mean, he could play corner and, you know, he could also move around a lot and play corner as well. I mean, I, I know there's, 
2021 in the Big 12, you got to do a lot of weird weird stuff on defense. So uh, we'll yeah. we'll see. I think I I think I joined pretty much the entire fan base and hoping, wishing that he's an impact player on this team. Because everyone damn well knows that this secondary could really use a guy who is 6'3", 217, who can move. That would be a, that'd be a type that we haven't seen in the secondary in like 20 years. All right, we have about 30, 35 minutes left. We're going to move on to the offense because we got to do some offensive talk and then talk about Buki. And then there's a little bit of a – we got a message from a, a listener about Buki. So we got to cram all this in. I don't have as many thoughts on the offense. I mostly just kind of have news and notes from Lincoln Riley's press conference or Zoom conference on Wednesday that I found to be interesting. And I'll just kind of go through some of them right now, and I'll let you jump in if you have any thoughts on, on any of these, these, uh, these topics. First off, let's, let's transition from defense to offense with Billy Bowman, who apparently is a guy that Lincoln Riley says, uh, well, one, they're, not surprisingly, they're going to they're gonna rep him at, uh, in, in the return game, which after watching six to eight minutes of his highlights, they definitely should. He's earned a chance to, to be a punt returner or a kickoff returner. But the more interesting thing about Billy Bowman is that Lincoln Riley said they're going to, quote, toy around with him potentially on offense. So they like him a lot. They like him a lot enough to tinker and toy and think they got to get the football in his hands maybe here and there and have fun with it. So we'll see. So aside from that, how about this, Grant? <laughs> Mikey Henderson, we talked about him. He was a fan favorite a lot of last fall. And I think sometimes when we were – uh, ragging on the running backs and saying the running back room was not playing up to snuff and you know obviously Ramondre came back and that helped them out but aside from him and I guess Pledger I, I think there were some podcasts where we were like man I honestly would be more comfortable with Mikey Henderson getting carries up above Seth McGowan above Marcus Major and even sometimes above TJ Pledger Mikey Henderson's now listed as a running back he's in the running back room so I think we all in the fan base I think we kind of wish this into existence or more realistically, Lincoln Riley uh, watched the same games we did and thought, eh, this guy's pretty good. He might be somebody that can work at running back and be a little bit more effective. So your thoughts on that? Mikey Anderson is one of those guys I I, I have trouble like envisioning his role, right? Um, but it's like, it, it's still, I mean, he's, he, you got to get him the ball. I mean, every, every time he touched the ball, it seemed like this season you could you could see the explosion. You could see how good of an athlete he is, how difficult he is to tackle. And so, you know, obviously, I mean, I think the logic of moving him to running back makes sense in that regard. Um, I kind of talked myself into, gosh, man, it would be cool to have an elite athlete, guy who can catch, run, run over people, separate from people, you know, running away from them, in that H-back role. I mean, that, sound, that, just, that just sounds almost a little too good to be true, right? Um, and, you know... It, We'll see. I, I don't know. I'm I'm a little I'm I'm not as high on this, I, I think, as some people are. Um if it if it means that if this means that they think Mikey Henderson is awesome and and needs to touch the ball as much as humanly possible, then then that's great. That's fine. If this means that Mikey Henderson's only gonna touch the ball one or two times a game, it's bad. Sure. I don't like it. So here's my thoughts on this. I I, I think it's the the former. And my theory is in their mind Mikey Henderson is a really good player and we need to give him the opportunity to maximize his contributions in this offense. And what do we know about Lincoln Riley ever since he's been at Oklahoma? He has no problems with giving running backs all the reps in the world and all the chances in the world to be great and give every, he gives everybody a shot at running back. 
every I mean every single year 2017 early on it was Abdul Adams and then all of a sudden it ended up being Trey Sermon and Rodney Anderson at the end uh, 2018 obviously Rodney Anderson was in but then he got hurt oh by the way I forgot about Marcellia Sutton in 2017 as well I think and Sutton was there in 2018 as well uh, and then in, in 2018 Kennedy Brooks came onto the scene out of nowhere uh, 2019 more Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre kind of came on towards the end of the year so I think this is a scenario where and this is just my opinion but this is I have no inside information Mikey Henderson can be a guy that is right behind or right up there with Kennedy Brooks and Eric Ray I think that's what again this is my opinion I think that's what they're thinking like we're going to give him a chance to compete with these other players because we think he's good enough to potentially be a guy we want to give the ball to a healthy amount and yep Seth McGowan Marcus Major I'm sure there's other running backs that I'm forgetting about you're going to get your chances too but we think this highly of Mikey Henderson that we're going to give him this shot as well whereas if he was in the H-back room his chances are a lot more limited and we're going to go from there because he's obviously going to be a guy that's he has position flexibility, and if for some reason they think, okay, he's actually better at H back, they're gonna they'll move him back. I mean, he's he did it all last year, so I, I'm. You're yeah. right. I mean, it's 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 spring. There's there's it's definitely too early to make any sort of definitive statements about it. Um, and you know the other uh, talking about the H back role, the other variable there is Jeremiah Hall, who I've you know I've been on record as saying I don't want him ever to leave the field. I want him to be on the field at all times. Um just because he's he's really reliable he's he's kind of he's seamlessly sort of you know melded into that Dimitri Flowers role and I think at this point he's pretty much Dimitri Flowers is equal um so but yeah I mean still just the I'm still kind of salivating at the idea of having you know like Dimitri Flowers but just bigger and faster um and you know but we'll see like you said it's spring and he can always yeah. turn back always switch back Moving on, offensive line, some of the interesting notables from Riley's Zoom press conference. How about the center spot? Creed Humphrey obviously is out the door, and so the big question is who is repping at center? Who's going to win that job? And so Chris Murray, Ian McIver, Robert Conjol, so it is a soft J, by the way, and redshirt freshman Nate Anderson are all repping at center. Who knows how many reps each are getting? So that the I guess that answers our question about about Conjol, I mean, he's going to have position flexibility, but they're giving Conjol a shot at center. In my mind, I think – I know that everybody thinks Murray's going to win the job, and he very well might be the favorite, and he might win it. But I, I legitimately think all three of those guys have a shot. I think McIver's obviously the guy that probably has the least chance because um, he doesn't have really any starting experience. He's been playing behind Creed Humphrey, and Conjol's got that starting experience at, at Power 5 college football. But both Conjol and McIver are, are walk-ons, so they're, they're, they're cut from the same – uh, what what what's the what's that saying? My God, cut from the same mesh. The, the cloth, cloth. cloth. Sure, man, my brain is not working well. So, anyways, if you're wondering who's repping at center, it's kind of the players we figured. We don't have a whole lot more on that. I don't know if you have any thoughts. I mean, is that kind of who you thought would be repping at center? Oh, Nate Anderson is sort of kind of sticks out there like a sore thumb. I thought he was a tackle. Um. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't really have I'm not going to sit here and say that I know everything about Nate Anderson. But, yeah, I didn't I didn't really you know, expect I was taking to see notes, him. You know, I was taking notes on Riley's presser kind of quick and and he said a name and I, I thought I heard Anderson. So it's very possible that I didn't hear correctly who the fourth guy was. No, so I saw I, this. I, I saw this on Twitter earlier, too. So it is Nate Anderson. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, and I've, I, I think I've been pretty clear with how I think that's going to go. I mean, I, I think that's Chris Murray's job. Um, I'm at the point now where I just, I kind of, 
any news about where people are playing on the offensive line during the spring just kind of goes through one ear and out the other for me just because I know how much how much Bill Biedenbaugh tinkers and Bo uh, Bo Saffs jeez wow bad yeah Bill Biedenbaugh um <laughs> I know how much he tinkers how much he, he he plays around with the offensive line in the spring I I just I I don't I don't really think we can it's History suggests that we can't really make any definitive statements about the offensive line until we get like a week before kickoff, essentially. You know what? So in that case, let's move on then because there's a couple other things. I mean, Wanye Morris, Anton Harrison, straight tackles, but that's not surprising. They're not going to move to guard. I, I find it kind of interesting. You did mention that Eric Swinson's somebody that they can move and, and move inside a little bit. Whatever. Uh, you make a good point. Let's save offensive line talk for a different time because we have about 20 minutes or so left we got to get to Buki uh, transferring to Washington it's official and you know you and I we kind of thought the last podcast a couple weeks ago that since it was taking so long for him to find a new team a new school that uh, he'd probably come back to Oklahoma because it seems like when people go into the transfer portal they almost immediately find a spot and it had been I think it, it was about two weeks, two or three weeks, and then he finally got, got somewhere but anyways he's going to the Pac-12 he's going to play for a defensive coach in Jimmy Lake don't have a whole lot of thoughts or much of a take on Boogie going to Washington per se aside from the general you know I hope he does well we all kind of want to see him play corner I I will say if if but one if, if that's what he's looking to do I don't know I mean maybe he's not even thinking about playing corner we don't know what's going on inside of his head but uh, if we do see him playing nickel or some sort of safety position in Washington Grant I think that's going to tell us all we need to know about his ability to play corner at the college level so that's really my only thoughts in, in this particular case about him going to Washington Grant what do you think about his his move to Washington I mean I'm I'm sad to see him go wish he would have wish he would have stayed here for you know till the bitter end but uh I mean yeah I, I hope he does well I hope he I hope he is I hope he's an all Pac-12 guy I'm really rooting for him um and I I, I think you're right you know if he if he Actually, you know, I, I don't know if you're if you're technically right about you know if if he's not playing corner there, then we know I I don't we've seen him play very well you know in, in the man coverage you know realm, and like that's I just I, I don't understand how you can how you can cover well in the slot uh, and not do the same thing on the outside at corner. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, he's he's not he wouldn't be asked to tackle as much at corner he's asked to be in the box much more as a nickel the whole thing just doesn't make any sense to me at all there's it's not playing him at cornerback is extremely galaxy brained um so i you know we'll see like i said i hope he does really well he's going to a team right now that as we currently sit right now in college football in 2021 has a better defensive reputation than oklahoma does Take you know, take that for what you will. Sure, sure. Uh, okay, so let's update the Buki rewatch. I have completed the 2019 season, and you know, for this year, I didn't just watch Buki. I watched all the main players in the secondary, uh, not nearly as closely as I did for 2018. I, I just mainly watched Buki. I watched everybody because I wanted to get more of a fair assessment of how everyone did and Buki comparatively. And so let me just remind you of how I'm grading. So as I watch back all these games, I'm marking down a good play, giving you a point. If you have like an interception, I give you an extra half point. If it was a pick six, I gave you two points, sometimes 2.5 if it was a big thing. Uh, like, for example, Buki had a, 
interception against TCU to basically seal the game. I gave him extra points for that because that's a, that's a big, big play. But generally, you know, you get a point for being good. You get a point, a uh, negative point for doing something bad, whether that's bad technique, getting called for a penalty, uh, just bad coverage. Uh, it's, it's a difference between, uh, yeah, it's mainly just kind of bad technique, didn't cover well, gave up a play. Because uh, separate of that was missed tackle. I deduct you a point for a missed tackle. A missed chance is a minus half a point, and the missed chance is, hey, did you drop? Did you drop a pick six, or not even a pick six? Did you drop an interception? Uh, was there a play that you should have knocked the ball away, but you whiffed, and they they completed a pass, and it's a missed chance? So those are the the four different things I was grading, and so just to kind of give you a, a recap of 2018, just Buki, his overall rating, and I kind of added it all up at the end, his overall rating. And this is my random system I just I made up. In 2018, his his total was negative 12 and a half. And I don't have ratings for everybody else to compare that to. So who knows? Maybe maybe Trey Norwood and Robert Barnes, maybe those guys were also negative something. And you know, there's a good chance they were, because not everybody played well at all in the in 2018. He only had t- 10 good plays in 2018. Eight and a half bad plays, 10 missed tackles, eight missed chances. So that all averaged out, not even average, but added up to negative 12 and a half in my random ranking system that probably doesn't make sense, but it made sense to me. So not great in 2018. How about 2019? He went from negative 12 and a half in 2018 to plus nine and a half in 2019. He went from 10 good plays in 2018 to 24 and a half good plays in 2019. He, he more than doubled his good production. He went from eight and a half bad in 2018 to just seven bad. So almost the same amount of bad plays, but he also played in more games in 2019. Granted, though, he did play fewer snaps. He played fewer snaps in 2019. Missed tackles. He had 10 in 2018, only seven and a half in 2019 and honestly most of the missed tackles in 2019 grant came in the first five games and Oklahoma's defense was playing really well after that let's see in the first five games when Oklahoma was winning he had one two four he had six missed tackles the last one two three four five six seven eight nine last nine games he only had one and a half and I I, I gave him a half missed tackle for Maybe it was like a really difficult play, but he still should have made it. But I, I was like, eh, I'm not going to knock him too, too much for this because that was a tough play. So down the stretch, the last more than half of the year, his tackling got a lot better. Uh, missed chances. It went from eight in 2018 to just one in 2019. So when he was there to make a play, he made a play. Uh, and I think that's definitely contri- contributable to, to Alex Grinch in that system. So he made a massive jump from 2018 to 2019 and if you're going to do it by my point system he technically made a 21 21 point jump I think 12 and a half plus 10 20 20, 22 sorry a 22 point jump which it's like whose lines anyway the points don't matter but still because I don't know they're coming from I was surprised by this, Grant. I did not anticipate him to grade out so well in 2019. Now, I'm 
Going to do 2020, and who knows when I'll be done with that, probably by by uh, fall camp. <laughs> I don't know. But I was very surprised that he made a huge jump in 2019. Now, how does that compare to the rest of the secondary, right? Because I don't have those numbers for 2018, but I have them for 2019. And only Parnell Motley had a higher number than Brendan Radley Hiles in 2019. Parnell Motley's number was 11. Buki was 9.5. And actually, both players had the same amount of positive plays, 24 and a half. It's just that when it came down to it, Buki had more missed tackles. Parnell only missed three tackles, and Buki missed seven and a half. That was the, that was the main difference in tackling. Other than that, both players were pretty darn good, and ironically, the two top-graded players, Grant, each got kicked out of a game <laughs> separate times. Uh, the two best players, and both those games, Oklahoma, lost, as, as we remember. Uh, I think the Parnell one uh, against Kansas State was a little more, uh, little more important. Yeah. Yeah, so how about this? I'll, I'll ask you, just to make this a little more interesting, so we know Motley and Buki graded out the best from my random point system. I graded one, two, three, four, five other players that got the most snaps between Trey Brown, Patrick Fields, Jaden Davis, Justin Broyles, and Delarian Turner Yell. Out of those five players, who do you think was the third highest graded behind Parnell Motley and Buki? Um geez. Uh I would say probably Oh no. It's not DTY. Who is who say say them all again? So there's five options here. Uh, Justin Broyles, Delarian Turner Yell, Trey Brown, Patrick Fields, Jaden Davis. Oh, it's Jaden Davis. It's not. Oh, is it it's not Justin Broyles? It can't be Justin Broyles. No, unfortunately, Justin Broyles is the only player that ended up in negatives. Uh, he just did, he didn't get a whole lot of chances to play, but when he did, it, it wasn't great. He had a couple of good plays, but for the most part, Justin Broyles was what Justin Broyles was. And, and I so even, it's Fields then. Pat Fields, seven point seven five. Jaden Davis, five point five. Delarian Turner Yell, four point two five. And Trey Brown, only 1.5. Trey Brown was very uh, hit and miss, but overall a net positive. And the problem with Trey Brown was that he got penalized a lot. He had a lot of bad plays, penalties. And actually, speaking of penalties, I tracked those because we talked about penalties before. With with, When people think about Brendan Radley, Hiles, and Buki, Buki, whatever, they think penalties. And that's what I thought. It was shocking to me. 2018, Buki did not get called for one penalty. Zero penalties in 2018. In 2019, Buki was flagged four times. Okay, so zero to four. But he wasn't flagged the most. Trey Brown was flagged the most. He got flagged for eight penalties, four pass interference, three holding, and one random offsides. He went offsides one time. But seven penalties was essentially him with bad technique, getting called for PI and holding. That's And what do we always criticize Trey Brown for grabbing tugging pulling bad technique and that's going to be the thing he's going to have to uh, get better at if he's going to have a chance in the NFL his technique needs work it got better over time and we'll see about 2020 when I get there but uh, does it surprise you that Trey Brown was penalized the most in 2019 out of the secondary no 
Of course not. I mean, yeah, that he obviously would have been my first pick if he would have if he would have posed the question. Who would you guess is the second most penalized? I said Buki had four, so you kind of know what Buki's at. But but Trey Brown with eight. Who do you, who do you think had the second most? Who would you guess? D- uh, DTY probably. DTY wasn't penalized much at all in 2019. Only two. Are we, wait, are we talking about the secondary? Just the secondary, yeah. Just the secondary. I don't know. You Just tell me. So it went most Trey Brown with eight. Parnell Motley had six. And Motley was actually penalized seven times in 2018. He had a lot of penalties, man. <laughs> Parnell Motley had a lot of penalties. Uh, three holding. Uh, I'm sorry. Three PI, one holding, one personal foul, and one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which is what got him kicked out of the game. Uh, Pat Fields, five penalties, two PIs, one holding, one face mask, one personal foul. And uh, Jaden Davis was penalized three times. Jeremiah Cradell had a random one penalty. And, yeah, I said DTY had two. Justin Burroughs had one, but he didn't play as many snaps. So uh, penalties weren't even much of a problem for Buki in, in 2019 as well. But I will say... Some of the penalties he had were just dumb. I mean, he, he had two, he had one really dumb holding penalty against Texas that was totally unnecessary, that extended a drive and led to Texas kicking a field goal and getting points. And then against Iowa State, he had a really stupid away from the ball personal foul penalty where he, he hit a guy and it extended Iowa State, gave him a free first down. When they were stopped on third down, it was going to be fourth down and short. I don't know if you remember that much at all, but it was just. Stuff like that, even though Buki, when I went back and watched, ultimately had a really good season, I think things like that is what sticks in people's heads a lot. It stuck in my head a lot and probably uh, was kind of made my focus on him uh, the way it was. Go ahead. I think it's a good, I think it's a good segue. It's a good segue into this part. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this, Lee. Okay. Um, so you know, one of our listeners, Justin, he sent us a Facebook message a couple days ago. Um, and I, I wanted to read it on the air because I think this articulates really well, uh, kind of the, the fan base position of just sort of, uh, you know, just not being super down with Buki. I, I think he does a really good job of representing that argument. It's an argument I disagree with almost entirely, completely. Uh, but I, I do think, I think it's valid and obviously tons of people hold these opinions. So here, here's what Justin had to say about Buki. I wanted to mention some thoughts regarding Buki because of the rewatch info you've been providing and the announcement that he has transferred to Washington. I think you're providing good info, and I think many people will be surprised at the improvement he has had over the years. I know I have given him a hard time and a lot of three-word reviews over the years. I think there are a few reasons people have been so hard on him, though, and that is why he has been difficult to like for many people. Obviously, you touched on him not having a great year his first year, but the whole defense had many problems that year. I think you guys talking about expectations for him, even coming from some coaches, uh, you know, put him in a bad position to start. Then you guys mentioned stuff about him coming out with a sledgehammer when the defense was pretty bad. That I criticize him for that, too. Uh, if it was really good defense, I think people would have loved it, but at the time, it seemed gimmicky. I, that's true. Uh, what I think of when I remember Buki is a lot of negative things and very few positive things. Very was, was my, is, is my word. He didn't say very. Few positive things. Him getting knocked out uh, on that hard K-State hit, uh, K-State hit, that was his freshman year. Uh, several pick sixes that were just dropped for no reason. Getting tossed against LSU. A personal foul penalty on a third down against Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, he goes on to say he, he's not sure if he's remembering it correctly. Uh, the fumble or interception that he had, he got stripped on the sideline, giving the ball back to the opponent. That was against KU this year, I think. Uh, yep. Getting dominated by the Iowa State tight ends. 
these are just the plays that he's that that I remember off the top of my head. He had a few good things though that I remember as well. He ended a game with an interception to secure a win against TCU. He completely shut down Eagles for uh, for Texas a couple seasons ago. Uh, thinks he only had one catch for ten yards. Um, and so he, he goes on to say, I don't know how many other fans feel this way, but I never viewed him as being good enough to offset all the negative things that come to mind first. Between unfairly high expectations placed on him, many missed opportunities that are magnified because he was a five-star recruit and a lot of boneheaded decisions leading to personal foul calls, he ended up in a bad position, and I think he was too late to change people's opinions. I did see improvement from him each year, and I trust Riley saying so many positive things about him. I just soured on him and maybe unfairly held a lot of that against him more so than what is fair, or what was or is fair. Um, I wanted to read that because I think that articulates perfectly that viewpoint. Uh, and Justin, I think I, I think there are probably a lot of people who who agree with you on that. Um, and I just think that was a really, really good sort of mesh of all of the arguments against Buki that I've seen. Like I said, you know, I'm editorializing here now. I don't really agree with a lot of that. And you can go back and listen to all of our podcasts when, you know, we go into detail why I don't agree with that stuff. Uh, but I did, I, I wanted to read it because it is a valid viewpoint. It's a viewpoint that a lot of people share regardless if I, if I agree with it or not. Um, and I just, you know, I wanted to give that viewpoint, you know, proper, proper daylight on this podcast. Cause I think that's fair. And so I will say that Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito, uh, I think Delarian Turner Yell may have also talked about Buki because Gear and Emig asked about Buki and and everybody backed him. And I did have some sound to play from Isaiah Thomas, but we're running low on time. I don't have time to play it. But they uh, Isaiah Thomas referenced how it, it was a you know it's, it's sad that you know the the fan base, a lot of the fans, you know, were very hard on Buki and you know, but he handled it well. He didn't really you know lash out. Uh, I'm not doing a very good job, probably, of representing what Isaiah said. But point being is that everyone in that locker room backs him. They love him. They hate to see him go. And they don't think he was treated fairly. Okay, that's fine. The way I'm going to look at it, the way I'm going to move forward is that he's had one not very good season as a freshman where everybody else also did not play very well. So I'm not going to hold it too much against him. But there's also, you know, there's, there's things where he could have been better. And he's had in 2019 a pretty darn good season. So 2020 is going to come around when I go back and rewatch that. And that will determine essentially whether or not I think it's a net negative or a net positive for him to be gone. Because right now, total, he's still in the hole. He was negative 12.5 as a, as a freshman. He was plus 9.5 in my rating system as a, as a sophomore. That's still negative three in the hole. Uh, I don't know where he's going to be 2020. Maybe he's going to be 10. I don't know. Maybe he's going to be seven. Maybe overall it's going to be two good seasons and one bad season. Therefore, it's going to be a tough loss. And that's what I'm curious to find out when I rewatch 2020. That being said, again, I, I wish the guy well. And I, I don't think – I'll put this, put this way. I was probably unfair about my thoughts on him in, let's say, 2019 because I assumed going into my rewatch that I was going to see a lot more bad than good. I was wrong about that. There was a lot more good than bad. Going into 2020, I'm also kind of assuming that I'm going to see, I shouldn't say a lot more bad than good, but I'm assuming I'm going to see a pretty good amount of bad and some good. I kind of think I'm going to see more bad than good. Will I be wrong about that? I'll let you guys know later on down the line. Uh, but I, I will say I think I owe him an apology for any sort of negative thoughts I had about him in the 2019 season. 
aside from, again, I think that LSU play is one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen. But upon further review, most of the year he played pretty smart. He was, for the most part, a good player. It's just it really is a couple of those boneheaded plays that stand out to me and a lot of the fan base. And for whatever reason, it's, it's tough to get over that sometimes. Anything else yeah, you want to add before I, we go? Yeah, I was just saying, I mean, I've obviously, I'm mean, a well-worn subject. My, my thoughts on this have been, you know, have, have been cataloged very aggressively. Um, I just, you know, I, you bring up the 2018 season. Yeah, you know, the minus 12 and a half in your grading scale or whatever. I just, like, the 2018 season is so irrelevant to this conversation um, because it's not the 2018 season anymore. He's a totally different player. Um, and, and I just, I, I, I do like, I, I think, um, I, I think sort of the, you know, the sour grapes or the, or the hate that Buki has gotten from the fan base. I, I, I think, I think it's been very unfair because I think he was, he was, he was anointed as the savior going into 2018 and it was the worst OU defense in the history of the program. And I think he just, he, he was a perfect symbolic, uh, you know, uh, he was a perfect symbol for why the defense was so bad, right? coming out with a sledgehammer, missing tackles, making boneheaded plays. Um, just, But that was happening to everyone all throughout that defense. Terrible plays all the time. Um, and so I guess when I think of Buki, I'm, I'm thinking of 2019. I'm thinking of 2020. I'm thinking of the times that he doesn't show up in the box score because he erases the guy in the slot and the ball doesn't come his way. Um, you know, I, so that, on, that's me, how I view... Let me comment on that briefly. Uh, at least in 2019, that... That did, didn't happen as much as you think it, it, as it did, uh, especially against Iowa State. I made sure to really watch Iowa State. He was on Kohler about two times that game, maybe three. And one of them was good. It was very early in the game. He got a PBU on, on a third down play. But other than that, he wasn't really on Kohler. And I, it, it, it really doesn't, it didn't happen as much as I think – you remember it happening. I'm 2020, we'll see. I think Iowa State adjusted quite a bit in 2020 and tried to go against them a lot more, as we remember that, a little bit more fresh. But, I, yeah, I mean, it, I'm not saying he was bad or anything like that, but that it didn't – he wasn't erasing guys as much, I guess, as you kind of think he was. But it, that doesn't mean he wasn't playing bad, though. I'm just saying he, he was kind of just like irrelevant in a lot of plays. Like, like other guys were too. Like he was on the backside of a play. It wasn't, the quarterback wasn't even looking his way, so it didn't really matter what he did. So I want to throw that out there. Final thoughts. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Maybe, and maybe I misremember it. So, um, I just, yeah, I, I, it's my, my argument has always been, you know, not liking Buki is, is an emotional position. Um, that, and I, and I think your rewatch sort of bears out that, He's just nowhere near as bad as, as a lot of people think he is. Um, and that was always my argument. Um, and, you know, I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, to, uh, to bring it full circle, it was one of the things, you know, one of the last things that I said in, our, uh, in, in my opening take, just, you know, be careful what you wish for. And that's, that's kind of all I got to say about that. All right. Well, Justin also had a, another spring question for us on the West of Evers Facebook page, but we're running low on time. We'll file that away and we'll get to it later. I've got to go and uh, have dinner with our mother, Grant, and uh, i got a hard time to get to, so I, I don't want to leave mom waiting. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to keep you updated on the West of Evers Facebook page about the next podcast date. Uh, I'm, we're, if, 
unless I have a weird schedule or Grant has a weird schedule next week, we'll try to get one in next week, try to make this a little bit more consistent. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.